Hello and welcome to the See For Yourself podcast, where we uh, take a couple minutes to talk about a movie, describe what it's going to be about, and then uh, we go and watch the movie separately, and then come back and talk about uh, how we were totally wrong uh, about what the movie was going to be about, and uh, what we thought of the film. Uh, today I am your uh, host, uh, uh, Zhuang Zhao, a uh, 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 man of but many butterflies, and uh, this is my dear compatriot. Uh, the one who is wrong, always. Um, Consistently I... wrong, man. Today we are going to be watching uh, Creep. Uh, I believe it's a 2014 film. I want to say it's a Netflix exclusive, or at the very least it's been on Netflix for as long as I can remember. And I'm just going to go ahead and jump right into the description. Creep is about a young videographer uh, answers an online ad for a one-day job in a remote town to record the last messages of a dying man. When he notices the man's odd behavior, he starts to question his intentions. Woof. Uh, the movie is right at uh, like 75 minutes long, so somewhere, somewhere in there. Uh, yeah, an hour and 17 minutes, so 77 minutes. Uh, and uh, so, so, so go, go ahead, uh, Mister, Mister Wrongman. Please tell me everything that this movie is going to be about right now. Um, so, just from that um, screen cap there, because I didn't, I didn't see a, a cover like a an actual standing cover. Um, I'm really wondering if this is going to be one of those found footage deals, like Blair Witch type deal. And I say Blair Witch because I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I'm sure it's a common medium there. We will have to watch Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, I've heard of it, yes. Yeah, it's a good movie. Um, let's see, there's that. And um, I don't know, it screams um, those Craigslist ads gone wrong to me. So uh, surely the videographer will die. Fair, a fair assumption. Yeah, that's, uh, that's all I got. Are you, uh, have you considered the possibility that this is an entire fake-out film where it's going to be, like, leading you to believe that? And, and, and nobody dies and it's pranked? Right, we gotcha? Well, maybe a prank. Maybe it's literally just, like, hey, you shouldn't assume things about Craigslist. It's actually a pretty good, like, place to go find, like, some neat work and maybe make some friends. I don't know. Well, I mean, he says that, I mean, in, in the blurb, it's, a, I assume, or at least I take it, that he's going there to record... The man's last words, supposedly. Like, he's going into this expecting this to be the man. I don't know. Probably, I, I'm assuming he goes into it thinking the man's just sick on his deathbed. But judging from that screen cap right there, uh, I'm wondering if the man's like, hey, this is just the video I'm going to take before I kill myself. Or you. Um, who knows? Yeah. Uh, so they do not. They leave it pretty ambiguous how the man is dying, per se. Um, if he's they didn't even say he's dying it's just like his his dying words or his last words or I do believe it does say dying man so let's double check on that well we're all dying aren't we well yeah in the uh, the Tibetan sort of way but uh, a, of a dying man of a dying man yeah. he seems awfully healthy for a dying man yeah they specifically unless did... that's the videographer I don't know damn thing. it could be the videographer yeah you don't know and this is the uh, this is the cover right oh here. that's the cover yeah very dark cover um, yeah, I actually cannot glean anything from the cover. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you get from me. <laughs> uh, uh, are, there, are there any very smart topics that you're going to you're gonna probe me about, whether they're going to be in the movie or... No, I mean, uh, the, the Craigslist thing got brought up, and that's kind of like... For me, that's one of the more interesting things about the movie, is like the idea of like, there was a time where you could just go on the internet and be like, hey, anybody want me to do this thing? And then people would 
message you and be like, yeah, can you do it for this amount of money? And you would go and you would do it. And that's still a thing to this day that exists. Well, yeah, I mean, it's even been more monopolized by like Fiverr and shit like that. But, sure. but now like everybody these, has like the, these niche things, like you've seen the old Craigslist ads where it's like, hey, I'd like the, I would like Subman uh, to come down here and me and him will tie ourselves to a grain silo and uh, jerk each other off through this tornado. That was a Craigslist ad. And to think that somebody had the audacity to put that out into the world. <laughs> you mean they You mean they had the courage? <laughs> what a brave man that was. That is the definition of bravery. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to get that tattooed on my back. But that's, uh, yeah, this is, that's what this screams to me. This screams Grand Silo J.O. session. Yeah, so I, I really like that. Uh, I also just like the idea of someone having, like, odd behaviors and that being enough for you to be like, this person's a, 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 a like a scary bad man. A straight sociopath. Yeah. Uh, they don't, I mean, that's fair. I have, uh, not my experience, but, like, my girlfriend's experience with, like, going to meet up with uh, old high school friends or friends that she's met online and having it be out in the middle of uh, buttfuck nowhere, Barrie, Massachusetts, or something like that. And it's like, hey, can you come pick me up? This guy's actually a real fucking weirdo out in the middle of nowhere. Who would have thought? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think I think maybe this is kind of topical for me specifically because, like, you ever wonder why you're the only one on this podcast? And the oh, answer is... <laughs> we are in the middle of fucking nowhere, and uh, you have been acting strangely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm inherently sort of a flamboyant, strange character, and I think people oftentimes take that to mean, like... Oh, if I hey. have to drive 20 minutes out into the middle of nowhere to meet this man? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's. this isn't going to be a podcast. It's, it's not even going to be at a house. There's going to be a field somewhere, and he's going to be like, hey! There's Over just, here. There's gonna be a bunch of plastic laid out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um so I always I always think it's it's interesting from that like description of it. People are so very quick to be like, this movie's about a guy who's trying to kill another guy. When in reality, you know, it could just be that guy being paranoid. You've certainly seen movies where it's like the person is like, Oh yeah, I'm I think that there are like government, you know, mind control devices in my brain and I'm going, you know, and it's the movie tries to convince you that that's really happening, but then at the end of the movie, it's like, no, that guy was a stark raving lunatic, and he should not have been thinking those things. And he was living in the city, in the middle of a god-given town that, like, anybody would live in. Sure. As opposed to, I assume this man lives in the middle of nowhere on, like, eight acres of fucking his own fenced-in land. What brought you to that conclusion? Uh, uh, the fact that this guy answers an ad, sure. and I... Maybe maybe I just imagined it, but something in the wording suggested they had to go out into the middle of nowhere to meet this guy. Let's see if there was something. Because I'm, I'm more than willing to accept that you just made this up. and that's In a remote town is okay, what so, it was. Yeah, he is in a remote the, the, town. The word remote is like inherently something to be concerned about. Yeah, so it's a young videographer answers an online ad for a one-day job in a remote town. Is it important that he's a young videographer? Is he impressionable? Maybe. I mean, you know. and you know, Because, again, this is how the Craigslist ads work. Young. He's going to show up and he's going to be like, and by the way, you know, I'm not actually 18. I'm 17 and a half. And young people are also oftentimes more easily frightened. You know. True. By, like, behavior that they don't see. People that are young, like, in their head, they're like, you know, if I say... Uh, a certain phrase, everybody knows you're supposed to respond to it with this behavior or this saying, like, you know, like, uh, we have these sort of, like, rituals that we create as young people. Especially, yeah, growing up like that. Yeah, they don't apply to everybody. 
So when somebody doesn't do the thing you're expecting them to do and you're like, yeah, and you throw your hand up for like a high five, you know, in your age group or in your like small little, you know, high school that you grew up in or whatever the fuck. And they respond with a dirty look. You're like, this man's never heard of a high five. What an alien. This person's a fucking like, crazy person. How dare they not like reciprocate, reciprocate in this, <laughs> in this, in this social bullshit. construct that we've all agreed on. Yeah. When in reality, it's just whoever the fuck in your like graduating class agreed to it that's that's the thing we do even as adults and we just never realize like yeah uh that thing like we were talking about before this with the guy doing all the uh like the gay jokes i think it's very likely that you know he just got out of high school and in high school that's what all the guys did oh for sure yeah i mean it's not it's not a far-fetched thing to me it's just you know as as i've grown it's that's not the thing that you throw out to achieve camaraderie with somebody is i don't know what your mutual hate would have of gays, or, or is, is like, it just your niche humor? Your your weird like I'm, I'm. <laughs> it is like the weirdest thing in the world to me because it seems like the kind of thing where if you point it out, like yeah, that's kind of homophobic. They'd be like, no, it's not. Like I'm not making fun of gay people specifically. And it's like no, but like you're making light of their lifestyle and like their their like choices and not even in a smart way that like yeah, like in a very ham-fisted kind of way. Right. It seems, you know. Like, when you really think about it, do you think that it's harmless? Do you think it's perfectly fine? Right. If people did that for, like, things that you do, would you just be like, yeah, this is great? And for how long would you be willing to be like, yeah, this is great? Right. And, and that that's the hard thing to, to relate to a um, naturally born white man. Because <laughs> um, how many... How many offensive jokes do you have? I mean, there's the white claw joke. That's about it. Like, hey, bro, go crush a couple of white claws. And that's... I don't like white clothes because I'm white. And it's like, but that's what I'm saying. That's the joke. And it's... Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of them that have, like, gained prevalence. Uh, white people don't know how to season food. Oh, that's true. That's yeah. a common one. Yeah, if anything, like, I've seen more truth than that than anything. So it's not even a joke to me. Yeah. Well, so even even if it is true, it can still be a stereotype. Very yeah. true. I, yeah. I'm a white man who likes to heavily season his food. And I suppose I could be offended by that. Yeah. So it's not, it's, uh, it's not about, like... Uh, whether or not it's a hundred percent true, it just has to be like kind right. of true, and like that's where it like gets its sort of wings. And then you know people like you or me who like actively like cook with different you know uh, styles and seasonings depending on what we're making, um, we could we could easily get offended by that because you know we, we if somebody used that. it uh, maliciously, be true. like, oh, I'd love to come over for dinner, but you're white and I like to eat good food. Sure. I, I can see myself being offended by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get it. Right, maybe, maybe not like seriously offended because as the boondocks pointed out, you know, ultimately we can always just be like, wait, I'm white. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about any of this. God, I love that scene. I loved all of that. <laughs> uh, so I think that's always like kind of in our back pocket as white guys. We right. always like lean back into, well, hold on now. I'm white. <laughs> I, I seen a, I seen a, a post on Reddit the other day that was uh, some black guy was um, bragging about like oh I've got a six car garage and this and that and then uh, some white guys like I've I've also I've got like a three bedroom house and I don't need a six car garage something something like that and the black guy's like can you say the n word and and the white guy's like oh look at this guy bragging about his one privilege I've got so many privileges I can't count them <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's brutal. <laughs> oh, god damn. Oh, yeah, back into it.
the actor who plays the the main you know guy in the movie uh he's actually in a bunch of comedy stuff so it's it's a long-standing tradition in horror films to have like a comedy actor play like a you know character that's like in a horror movie uh, whether that be like the good character or the villainous character or whatever it seems to want to come up like quite a bit uh, because it's like i don't know i guess that's relatable like a funny man is an everyman just in, in at its core sure um it does remind me that the man who played uh, Shaggy in all of those live-action Scooby-Doo movies was also in Scream, so that's mm-hmm. that's fun. It's actually really sad because he loves playing Shaggy. Like he, it's one of his favorite characters to get to play, and consistently he will offer himself up to play the character, and they will turn him down um, either because uh, they need to pay him too much or some other reason. And it's just really sad because he takes it very personally. Like he, he loves playing. That I character. thought he was a good Shaggy. I mean, mm-hmm. those movies. I didn't enjoy the movies all that much, but it was not because of him. Um, what was it? James Gunn made those movies. Was it? Yeah, uh, and that's why they're all about sex. Yeah, like those movies are sexy to a fault. I mean, Scooby Doo is, is a sexy show. It, nothing, nothing but sex icons up in there. Fair enough. That dog. Uh, but they literally hired like. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. To play, uh, what is it, Daphne? Yep. And I don't know who played Velma, but she could get it. Uh, uh, she's one of my favorite actresses, and I get her, uh, Linda Cardellini. Linda Cardellini, I adore that woman. Uh, she is the only reason I watched uh, uh, La Llorona. La Llorona, I can't remember. Hated that movie. Terrible film. Oh, don't say that. We, we just it, had this conversation. It, it does have redeeming qualities to it. Okay. It's not entirely awful, but... Uh, I, I did not enjoy it. It was not for me. She, wonderful. The whole time. Just round of applause. Every time she comes on, on, on set, I'm just like, oh, there she is. Being, being fucking amazing. And then the guy that they had play, it was like Fred Savage or something, play Fred? Yeah. Was it Fred Savage? I can't remember who it was exactly. But he's like a, a very handsome man. And then the guy they had play uh, Shaggy, again, gorgeous man, um, whose name they, I... They, it was another one of those things where they really had to... Through smart choice of wardrobe, make him look like a lanky idiot. Yeah, yeah. He's also in SLC Punk, which I've talked to you about maybe doing for this podcast, actually. Oh, that's right. I did see him in um, when I was Googling it. Matthew Lillard. Linda Cardellini. God bless you. Uh, yeah, Sarah Michelle and Freddie Prince. Yeah. And then, oh, Isla Fisher plays Mary Jane, the, like, female love interest for Shaggy in that film. Um. There's actually a lot of, like, weird stuff for Scooby-Doo, like, franchise stuff that involves, like, romance and whatnot. There's, like, a whole um, Scooby-Doo, like, animated... The, the newer one where it's him and Velma? Yeah, like, from the very beginning of the show, him and Velma are in a committed relationship with each other. And Which, I mean, like, good for them. I always ship that in my head. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a natural, like, solution there. But, like, it's just, like, really weird that that is a choice that they made to do from the get-go. To, to make a point of it in a, in a children's animated TV series. I do not believe that show was made for children at all. All right. No. I mean, probably not. It's, it, is, it is animated, and I know that we have that, like, connotation in our head where it's like, if it's animated, it's for kids. But, like, there are so many... Like, there is a character who is voice-acted by Linda Cardellini... Which is really sad to think about, as I'm about to explain this character. There's a character who is a one of the villain's daughter. They make fun of her because she uh, she smells bad. You know what they call her? Smelly? Hot dog water. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would take smelly over hot dog water every day of the week. Yeah, that is rough. Yeah. The fucked up part is, 
uh, her dad, who's the villain of the episode that she's like kind of like fleshed out in. Is he a hot dog demon? He's no, he's a um, he owns a uh, uh, um, he owns an amusement park, and in order to try to save money, they would use the hot dog water for everything, including showers and whatnot. So by calling her hot dog water, they were not only like finding an obtusely creative way to like say that this woman is funny and that just seems malicious on its own, but also like. They were shitting on her upbringing. They were shitting on her upbringing and the literal fact of it. Like, these things are funny if you just found, like, a creative way to make if fun that, of someone. If that was a funny way to describe how somebody smelled and they didn't shower in hot dog yeah. water. Yeah, that's fine. But, like, when that's the fact, you're just, you're just you're being mean about Literally shitting situation. on somebody's actual life. Yeah, like, that's a terrible wow. situation that she's in. And, for the record, there is a season in which hot dog water joins the, the team because Velma leaves. For a couple mm. of episodes, and they changed the opening theme to include her, hot dog water. her and the theme. And the theme has like the character arrive, and then the name is in kind of the background, and it says hot dog water. Mm, the poor woman. Yeah, and in the credits, when the credits roll, because I was hot dog like, water? it's hot dog water, and it says hot dog water, played by Linda Cardellini. So the voice of an angel, just the most gorgeous voice you've ever heard. On this really sad character who, like, I, I pray to God children do not watch this show and think, That's a funny name to call somebody. Because I think the big takeaway... I heard this. By the way, funny you should mention it. Uh, in my friend group, I forget how it came up, but it occurs to me now that they use that phrase hot dog water today. Today. Now I gotta, like, really think hard about how that came up. I don't think kids would take away the fact that, like, you should not be calling people... Hyper specific, <laughs> potentially true, fucked up names. Right. Uh, I don't know if that's like what they were trying to like say. I mean, yeah, they were try- probably just trying to make it really funny. Uh, Which, uh, I mean, it was funny. Certainly, um, yes. But I don't think any kid's gonna go like, "Hey, you smell like you have too many dogs at your house." And he's like, yeah, "I do." <laughs> is seven too much? Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, seven is right at that number. <laughs> How big's your house? Not very. We're incredibly poor. <laughs> Most of the dogs aren't even ours. We just let them in. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, I think we have enough here that we can cut out some of the not necessary stuff. Oh man, the next episode, I'm gonna be too many dogs, Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> too many dogs, Thompson seems great. <laughs> All right, let's um, let's hop into the movie, and we will be back shortly. And we are back. Uh, from just having finished uh, watching Creep, uh, it does kind of end right at that one hour and 15 minute mark, which I, I ex- excites me. I just love those sort of clean, you know, that's that's exciting. Um, but you were you were just talking, and I feel like you're ready, ripped and ready to go. You were saying this is sort of a middle ground film for you. What oh, do you mean by that? So um, I generally dislike horror because, um, and we've talked about that on the side about how Bloom, Bloomhouse, uh, Bloomhouse in, yeah. invented uh, jump scares, and jump scares piss me right right the fuck off because it's cheap and it requires nothing and it's like uh it it's insulting to the time that i give the movie that that that's how they're gonna scare me is with the jump scare um so this movie um actual horrific elements real deep felt horror that i appreciated um definitely felt uh but they also jump scared like five times in the movie and I couldn't really t- like it was kind of it was a joke, but it's a horror movie, and they use jump scares, and by nature that makes me angry. So for for the record, 
Blumhouse did not invent jump scares. Oh. They are sort of the... Accredited with it? No, they are the very modern, like... They are the people who, in modern horror films, have created this idea amongst people that jump scares are just, like, a thing in horror. All jump, horror Jump films. scare equal horror. Yeah. And they very much do the thing. This film did it, in fact, where they kind of end on a jump scare. Um, I think the movie is kind of trying to say that it is having a difficult time deciding between, like, true horror and, like, these jump scare horrors. Because the movie does end on a jump scare note, and then it stops and starts back up again, where the guy is, like, doing the thing again. Do, doing the horrific, the deep-felt horrific yeah. thing. I can just do this again and get away with it. That's deep horror. And also, uh, he shows without saying he shows you that he has done this a lot that he has done it a lot is currently in the process of doing it again that it's a romantic thing to him mm-hmm. um yeah yeah you know we think we think of serial killers or maybe we don't but i have this idea that the populace has an idea that serial killers are this maniacal thing that like i must kill i can only feel good by being evil but I mean, the people with actual mental dysfunction that causes them to kill are not doing that because they're e- nobody. Nobody is evil for the sake of being evil. Yeah, I mean, even incredibly in, rare. Yeah, I mean, and even in movies, like the best villains are the ones who are. They think they're the good guy. They think they're the good guy, and so this guy romantically cataloging his past loves is a horrific thing when you know that he's killed them all. Yeah, and and for him to like, he specifically says that Aaron was the best person who ever lived. You'll always be my favorite of them all. Yeah. 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 He, uh, he says that. And he, the, the thing is, is he's found his favorite person, the person that he, you know, thinks is the best who ever lived. And he's still going and finding someone else, too. And I don't know if that's like a commentary on romance and the nature of like relationships or if it is a commentary on like people who have like a, a mental health problem like this. And it's it'll never be enough. You got to just keep doing it, you know. I mean, maybe it doesn't uh, tie into. I mean, it's that's a. Uh, it could be talking about drug uh, problems because that's very much that's the through line to that is you're always chasing that. Sure, and, and so maybe yeah, yeah. It, that's the perfect word for it because he's hit he's hit the optimal high. He's hit that mainline heroin dose that does it for him. Um, but he's got to he's got to get it again. Sure. Uh, on that note, there is a point in the film where... Uh, so, so, let me ask you this. what Was was there a point in the film where you were certain that this uh, Joseph character, the sort of the villain of the movie, was definitely a, a killer or someone dangerous, someone that's going to, like, hurt this individual? I, I'm trying hard to think back before that first time where he's blocking the door with the mask, because sure. at that point... Like, I knew that this was going to end badly. Like, there was no redeeming factor of it. But I'm trying to think before that. That, that, was, the, that was the most cut and dry moment right there. I'm sure there were, there were telling signs beforehand. Especially, I think I brought up that very menacing uh, scene up the staircase where he's silhouetted by the lights behind him. Sure, when and it's got that, yeah. yeah, it demands that he comes in. That, sure. was, uh, that was hardly an invite. Um, that was probably the point where I was like, oh, this man uh, is evil or he's painted to be so. So what is the difference between an invitation and a trap? Well, I mean, it's not so much that it was a trap. Like, I mean, it, it kind of was. He stole his keys. You know? Oh, I mean, it was a trap, but I mean, it wasn't... Uh, that. That's not the, the dichotomy that I'm, I'm suggesting at when I said it wasn't an invitation. It was... 
he very much already had it in his mind that he was going to get this man in his house. Um, and the the pushing of it, the but I was going to offer you a whiskey. No, I, I really got to go home. But, but we're right here. We're at the top of the stairs. Baby, it's cold outside. It's literally that. It's not that long of a drive home. It's only 20 minutes. 20 minutes, and you can just coast down the hill. And, and how hard would it be to give an old, poor, dying man a glass of whiskey? Yeah, and then and then later, when uh, Aaron is trying to leave, uh, he's telling him, Oh, no, you know, you shouldn't leave. It's such a long drive back. He specifically points out how long the drive is. Yep, it's a little treacherous at night. It's, yeah. And, and it was already nighttime. You know, uh, in the in the original discussion, but uh, for me, so the the scene that you're describing where he's blocking the door, that scene did nothing for me in terms of like proving that he's a villainous, dangerous individual. Uh, he had been drugged. He had been mixing alcohol with whatever drug the person gave gave him. Uh, he didn't know that. Uh, the guy found out just recently that he had mental health problems, and like, admittedly, he found out he had mental health problems after drugging him. So that's you know. You're a little bit past the point of no return at that point. I mean, he was also told by who I would assume... I'm going to just, for the sake of it, say that the sister on the phone was telling the truth. Sure. Um, Because I have no reason to not believe that. uh, That is one of the few points where I think most people would agree that's pretty believable. Yeah, I mean, because what... If we if we're talking about like a character that has a stake in something, like he's had a stake in lying this whole time, who has a stake in unraveling that lie and calling the phone and being like, you need to get out of that house. You need to just walk away. Like nobody, I'm just going to assume that that's. And it does very much seem like uh, he caught him off guard when he says, I know I talked to Angela. Oh, he, he, he fled at that point, which is why the putting on of a mask, um, to tie it back to like, uh, my own personal like experiences. I, I remember having problems like speaking publicly or in front of people at all. Sure. And um, sunglasses help. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's that divider between you and them. Maybe it's the the actual act of putting on a mask. But he fled like a prey would. And then puts on a, a wolf mask and then decides to act menacing. I thought he was dangerous in that point because he tried to be. Yeah, so in, in my mind though, it was... At this point, Aaron is to blame. You know, this isn't uh, inherently Joseph's fault. No, no, for sure. I mean, it definitely, Aaron led to that. Yeah, so so in my mind, I wasn't thinking, like, even if Joseph did, let's say Joseph kills Aaron right then and there. Okay. I wouldn't necessarily blame Joseph for that. I think very much, even in a court of law, he could be like, yeah, uh, I don't know what was happening. I, you know, uh, I, I, I had a few drinks with the guy. I passed out almost immediately. I... And normally have much more tolerance for alcohol than that. Uh, found out later, I found this empty bottle of drugs. I must have killed him while I was, you know, drugged out. I don't know what happened. I think in a court of law, that would fly. You know? Oh, a hundred percent. I don't think the court of law is how we determine morality. Sure, uh, well, but but yeah, I, I get what you're getting. What at. I'm saying is, at this point in the film, I can understand if Aaron is still thinking, "Hey, this guy hasn't done anything wrong yet. He's just a, a weird dude, not like a threat or like someone who's trying to actually threaten me." I've sort of like one. He has pushed it. Yeah, I've pushed it to this point. Now this is my fault, right? The predicament I'm in, and up till now, really, it has been mostly just kind of atypical types of socialization stuff. Like he's just socially awkward, and that's weird, but not like threatening. You know, the like jump scare stuff is like 
I think I really think this movie I, I like that the jump scares are in it like especially in the first sort of like half of it before we start getting into the more like intense like scary jump scares when it's just like jump scares because he's trying to be wacky and fun I think that is a great way of showing like his misunderstanding of social like norms you know he thinks this is just like social fun stuff but uh we know as like you know every man that if we were in Aaron's position we would see this as kind of threatening you know, because, you know, I'm out here, I'm out all by myself, you know, I'm out in the middle of nowhere, I don't know you, and you're just jumping out of the out of nowhere to try and scare me, and that might be your type of, like, humor with, you know, whoever, but you need to recognize that this is a different situation where you need to be a little bit more sensitive to the fact that this is, like, more scary than it has any right to be. Right. I, I like that. I like that a lot in the movie, and I think that the movie would potentially be even better if... There were no, like, real horror aspects of it. It was just a guy being kind of weird, and that's scary sometimes. But, like, ultimately, you know, if the movie was framed just a little bit differently as, like, a sort of uplifting story of friendship, it could be, like, a sort of good fake-out movie for, like, hey, for the first half of it, we kind of think it's scary, and then this guy, like, runs away and is, like, really frightened and drugs a dude, which, like, we kind of gloss over that in the film but like that is a horrible thing he did to that man well i i brought that up because like it, it really makes me wonder what the character of aaron is like mm-hmm. who he is as a person like and i'm not saying this is like one of those dexter things where it's like oh he's killing bad people but yeah in the beginning of the movie he talks about not knowing who the person on the other end of this line is so i guess he never called this person because he's sure. maybe just responded by email and was like oh maybe it's a hot piece looking for a rubdown, and, and and they'll pay me for it, ha-cha-cha-cha. But he brings the method to drug somebody to this expected, uh, expected uh, scenario. And that's that's horrible on its own. I think the way you're reading it is appropriate, but there is, like, a good argument to be made that, like, he could just have those drugs for himself, you know, like, for his own... He just happens to have Benadryl <laughs> on despite not having... Benadryl isn't something you have unless you're sick. I don't... I've carried spare ibuprofen in case I get a headache. I've never carried spare Benadryl in case I get a sudden onset flu. I'm just saying, it's not completely outside of the, like, world of possibility here, you know? Like, it wouldn't be entirely... Like, maybe he got the drugs on his way up there. Like, that was part of, like, the shit he was doing that day, you know? Like, just going by the CVS or whatever. I'm going to pick up my Benadryl because... You know, I just started some medic- some new medication. I got to pick it up and I'm going to go do this thing. And then I'm going to go back home and try it for the first time tonight. Maybe. I don't know. I obviously think that, that if, if that was something that the filmmakers were trying to say, they would have specifically went out of their way to say that. It's, it's one of those things that's just ambiguous enough for me to be like, maybe Aaron isn't like such a terrible person that he would bring like knockout drugs to a maybe there'll be a sexy lady when I get there kind of situation. I mean, that is 100% how I read it, is all I'm saying. I'm, I'm, like, not, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying right. that for me... and, and it, I, it I would, think... It's a very hard stretch to write it off as... Uh, I don't know what the word here is. Um, you know... Completely benign? Benign, yeah. Just just a thing that he would have and know to do. Yeah. Um, I think that's perfectly reasonable, too. I think... I think I think that this is one of those details of the movie that they specifically don't go over because they kind of want us to think about it this way, where it's like, well, it could be fine, or it could be... Aaron's a little little more fucked up than we're giving him credit for. Specifically, one of the aspects of Aaron that I think the movie doesn't go over is how lonely Aaron is. It seems like Aaron really doesn't have any friends either. He doesn't, like, 
call anyone or tell anyone or like have anybody over to like watch the house while he's sleeping. Like that shit was happening to me, man. I would be hitting up all my boys and all my friends and everybody I know and just being like, Hey, can you, we would be sleeping in shifts a hundred percent or I wouldn't be sleeping at home. Yeah. Um, I would go to somebody else's house. Yeah. I I do not know why Aaron is like complete other than he is also a very lonely man and has nobody and potentially also a very bad man himself. So there's, there's something there that, like, specifically the movie is glossing over. Movies have, like, a way of, like, obscuring the things they want to obscure and highlighting the things they want to highlight. And I think that is specifically one of the things. Is, one of those things that just, for the sake of the plot, we're going to assume that the Benadryl was there for benign reasons and he just happened to know that he could drug the scary man. Well, they, they do do that a lot in film where they're just kind of like, and I had... <laughs> knock, right. knockout drugs on me because right. it's interesting at all that they would even note what drug it was specifically. That's kind of odd, right? Well, most films are think ambiguous. You know what? For for that case, um, now that you do mention it, um, the fact that they bring up that it was Benadryl and not straight up uh, the date rape drug is... Uh, oh, uh, Rohivnol. Rohivnol, yes. Yeah, because yeah, they, they could have said that. They, yeah. He could have said, hey, I found... I found the roofies. Uh, he, sure. he could have said anything, but he actually found Benadryl, which, frankly, I've never heard of being used to drug somebody. So, I mean, I guess it could be... It's it's more benign than if he did have Rohypnol. Yeah, yeah. If they had specifically said, like, you, you used Oxycontin or you used, like, something that has, like, a more dark connotation to it. Right. Um, but they used Benadryl, which, to my knowledge, is pretty benign. You know, that would be... I, it's an antihistamine, isn't it? Like... I, I'm unfamiliar. Uh, I'm pretty sure Benadryl's an antihistamine, which again, did he say Benadryl or Robitussin? He said Benadryl. He said Benadryl. Yeah. All right. I think we're reading, I'm reading too much into it though. That's okay. Um, That's okay. Because I do think Benadryl's an antihistamine, um, and I've never heard of an antihistamine knocking somebody out. Well, maybe when mixed with, you know. Without, I mean, anything when mixed with alcohol definitely has adverse effects. And and the guy is like, you know, mentally unwell, so there's something there maybe, I don't know. For sure. Um. That's another thing that I think that my, my favorite thing about Creep as a movie is its potential to be like a discussion on like how we treat people with like, uh, what's the word? Uh, not, not asymptomatic, but uh, with like with like mental health issues, you know, like that is kind of like my favorite part of the movie is like that first half where you're not really sure. And he just seems kind of weird, but like very off. Like I definitely I, we met, I mentioned at some point where if I didn't know going into this, that this was a horror movie. Or if I didn't know that the name was Creep, or because Creep itself, whatever. Yeah. Going into that, I'd really like to know if I would have had the same feeling of dread when these strange things started, when his weird behavior started popping up. I, I do think that like the feeling that you have of like, uh, this is when it started to shift for me, is right around where the movie is trying to have you have those feelings. Like, this is where you're kind of supposed to start thinking like, hey... This is full on a bad movie. <laughs> yeah, this is about like someone doing something nefarious. But I, I still think that going well into it, maybe at the point when he had his address and he had no reason to have the address, I think that's when I would start to be concerned. Um, but up until then, I think even in the darker parts, it's sort of like excusable in a way. Like, you know, you misplaced your keys. Was that you? Was that him? Who's to say? I, I was concerned about that because in, in the film, leaving things very ambiguous... Joseph drove them there. We don't know who drove them back. Um, I would imagine it would be Joseph because this is a part of town that Aaron's not familiar with. Sure. So Joseph should have had the keys, but we don't know that because he says they're in your pocket. And he says, I thought they were in my pocket. So did he say, I put them in your pocket? And 
hucked him in the fucking woods. We don't know. One thing I did want to bring up. Are you familiar with the, the concept of love bombing? You've mentioned it before, and I couldn't tell you the exact description, but I get the idea. So, yeah, basically it's when, uh, in order to try to, like... Gain somebody's trust? Yeah, gain someone's trust or, like, save a relationship or something like that. You sort of just shower them with, like, overly affectionate, overly loving uh, type of vernacular or type of... Do uh, you think that's what was happening here when I, he was like, how kind you are, the kindest person I've ever met? I think he was very much... It's kind of like grooming, right? You're kind of, like, trying to convince them that, like... This is a happy and loving and sweet, like, environment, and, like, look how kind I am to you and, like, how willing I am to note your worth and all these other things. He also, like, moves in for the hug, like, immediately. You know, he wants that hug, like, right then and there. Oh, by the end of the day, this is going to be normal, so let's just go ahead and do it right now. And, like, you've heard that before, right? But you never really thought about it. And when someone says something like that to you, if you don't want a hug, you should just be like, nah, don't. Right. But then you're the weirdo, Right. It's not them being weird. You're being weird because somebody just wanted a hug and you're right. saying no. The, the offering of affection should be, I mean, really should be the normal part of it. And denying affection should be the weird part of it. But that isn't how it is. I've, I've definitely met people who are, my mom's not a hugger. And I've had girlfriends that are like, oh, so nice to meet you and going for the hug. And she's just, no, don't, don't fucking touch me. That should be normal. That should be. I agree. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's very odd that in, in our current state of affairs, like, Having a preference or having a boundary, you know, you can absolutely have a preference and be like, I'd rather if we hugged instead of shook hands, you should totally express that if that's how you feel. But you should also be willing to accept that the other person has a right to express, oh, no, I'd rather not. That's That should be equal. Like, both of those should be equally normal, right? Because you're just being honest with a person about what your needs are, and everybody should always be doing that all the time. It really should be the default to, to not be touching me. Did you watch Mr. Robot, the TV show? Oh, with with uh, Robbie yeah, Malek? Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Uh, there's some... There's some part in one of the earlier episodes where he's working at whatever actual company he's working at, you know, sure. head honcho goes to pat him on the shoulder and he, and I've definitely felt that. Like I work with a boss right now who thinks it's really kosher to come up behind you and do the really aggressive shoulder rub. And I'm I like, don't, oh, don't, fuck, don't do that. To yeah. Me. I have a, I have a guy, that guy in my class I was telling you about that I had over, he fucking does that to me a lot. And I don't, and it, it's, it would be one thing if he was like, hey, Caleb, I'm, I'm right behind you, buddy. Or like, something or like started off with the back pat and then started with the shoulder pat. And then it's like, hey, you're, you're beginning to cross the line. But for somebody to go into like, hey, new employee, here's a fucking rough back rub. That's a weird, I don't know where that comes from societally. Yeah, dude, like, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I try not to be touching people unless I know that that's like perfectly okay. You know, and I don't ask because I don't want to like impose that on them. Frankly, I don't want to be touching people. Yeah, I mean, that's perfectly fine too. I, 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 I think that like you know, there, there are times when I'm more okay with it than others. You know, even, even when there's someone where I think like, oh, you know, a hug would be nice. You know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, ask for it because I, I think that there is something to be said when you, uh, like, you know, in that scene where he's like, well, come on, and I was gonna offer you a whiskey, that kind right. of stuff, where you like, it sounds like you're giving them a choice, but in reality, you're kind of not. Right. Right. And I think that that's like. There's something there, and I don't know if the movie does a great job of talking about it, but it does bring it up every now and again, where it's like that feeling like you're not you're not paralyzed because you're still making action towards the thing the person is like pushing you towards. So it's like the opposite <coughs> of paralyzed, it's like you're hypnotized, really. It's almost like a peer pressure thing, really, yeah, where, yeah, yeah. where how dare you not? like? And, and there's things that are normalized, like if somebody re reaches out their hand for a handshake, you shake their hand. That's a fairly normal and middle ground to to be having but like how much further than that is weird you know there's the different handshakes there's the aggressive and they grab your shoulder and that's supposed to be a power play uh not shoulder elbow 
Yeah. How far past that before the hug is weird, you know? Like, I think that even the handshake should be considered, like, pretty inappropriate as long as the person is, like, you know, like, I think it should be inappropriate enough for you to be able to say, I'd rather not, and then not be like, oh, you you think I'm an asshole or something? You think Because like, that's, well, first- that's what it is. Because, you know, it's one thing to say, I... Because we can come back and be like, all right, they don't like to hug people and we can get past that. But to turn down a handshake is, I mean, culturally disrespectful. Yeah. when it shouldn't be. It should very much just be like, a, okay, yeah. you have your boundaries. You don't want to do that. Absolutely. Because you don't know. You know, you don't know what somebody is like gone through. Somebody's or, got gangs in mind. They don't like. Or, or even, even to take it to a more benign place, you know, maybe they just have bad experiences with handshakes. You know, maybe somebody like squeezes their hand too hard or, you know, that's like. I think that's a very common thing and people just don't talk about it because like, okay, you're a guy, right? Somebody shakes your hand and hurts your hand when they do it. Do you tell anyone? Right. You, no. You don't even say it in the moment. Yeah. You don't say it in the moment. You don't tell people later. You don't like go home to your loving wife and kids and tell them about it. You just sit on that and you just, you can't even, next time that, that person goes to shake your hand, you don't even say like, oh, hey, could you go a little lighter or I'd rather not shake your hand or anything like that. You just have to sit on it again. Yeah. Uh, I think that the, I think the movie sort of talks about those kinds of things and it talks about, you know, the, the whole like social expectations, you know, sort of being like coerced into doing things without like being directly said, like you have to, you know, it's the first time in the movie where he's like pushed into a situation where he kind of has to do something is in that, that scene that you were like, this is when he's dangerous, when he's like cornered or he's a uh, sort of like blocking the door, you know? That's when, you know, that's the first time he's being told, like, no, I'm going to... A hard line, no, and not even just the coercion that happens very shortly beforehand. Yeah, yeah, There's, like, a ton of coercion throughout the film, and a ton of that, like... Like, my favorite is the, the, the love bombing, though, the, like, the constant hyper-affection stuff, and that's the stuff that he ends up using at the end to kill him, you know, is to the, the hyper-affectionate, like, hey, I'm lonely, and... I, th- I think that you're going to have that massive kindness to really support me through this like tough time in my life. You know, that is, he's love bombing you. He's like showing you that he can see your worth and that you can, you know, that he trusts you and all this other stuff. And like some people really do fall for that. And I think it's so good that it's like specifically two men in this situation, you know, cause a lot of times when we think about these types of things, we think, well, that'll never happen to guys, you know? So if it was like, not even like two two men in a gay relationship either. Yeah, yeah. Although I'm sure something could be said for that. Yeah, um, I'm sure there's like a with, with the way. heart pendants and all yeah. that. And um, but yeah, for it for it to be at the very end, he goes there like purely out of kindness, purely yeah. like. But look how sad he is, which maybe speaks to how well he'd been groomed at that point. Because I mean, at no point during all of that stuff would I have uh, thought like. He's just misunderstood. No, no, I would have showed up with police, or I would not have sat in that. And he brings it up uh, when he's going over when Joseph's bringing it over. He's like, and I don't know why he didn't stand up. And I agree. Like at several points during this movie, the the spatial awareness and the self preservation of Aaron is just so tossed back and forth. He's got the presence of mind to roofie a guy, but not to bring a knife from the kitchen downstairs with the madman that he's and and to show up and not just sit there uh tensely waiting for this man to show up but to sit there and cross his leg and lean back on on the bench in a situation that should have very been very much been tense so Uh, let me ask you this do you think that the movie changes at all if aaron is a woman you can even keep the same name oh you can yeah yeah. i'm sure it does to some uh, like are you talking about what it might be speaking to 
thematically or something. You can take it that way, or you could just say, like, how you would have felt about the various scenes. Like, you know, if she was a woman, I feel like I especially am, am affected by that pretty easily. Like, you know, the feeling that, like, she's in especially a more dangerous situation because she's a woman and he's... Less physically capable? Well, no, not that. Just that, like, this is a situation I see play out a lot. For sure. Where women kind of get into situations with guys where they're willing to be a lot more trusting because, you know, they want to be able to support them and be friendly and kind. And women are always telling stories about things that they, like, did where they were just like, well, I didn't want to be rude, so I didn't... Well, well, that's exactly it. Like, there's this this mindset that um, women have to have to think about these things so it's like uh this idea of oppression because oh well i didn't do anything to this woman it's like no but because she was going out with a strange man she had to be on guard as opposed to a man doesn't necessarily have to sure um so i'm sure there's something to be said for that stuff and i definitely would have probably been less believing of how trusting aaron was sure if he was a woman is there anything in this movie to be said if joseph was a woman like, is there something there? Or am, um, I, or am I just like, well, tick for tack? Well, so, I, I don't know. Um, there, there's certainly something there. but Maybe like, something about Aaron being more trusting of a woman telling him to come up for a drink? I mean, fuck, he was planning on showing up to having a drink with a woman. Yeah, I mean, so, unfortunately, there are not a whole lot of movies where, like, the woman is put in the position of power over the, the man. Mm-hmm. Which would certainly make this movie a little bit more unique and interesting, you know. Even in the movie, the, like, one of the best movies where, like, the woman is specifically, like, the killer character. Um, it's usually done with, like, the honeypot facade. Yes. Where, like, it's... Well, so the honeypot facade and then even the, like, twist ending kind of thing is also mm. pretty common. Uh, Friday the 13th comes to mind, you know, where it turns out it was Jason's mom the whole time. Right. And, like, that's cool, but it would be a lot nicer if Jason's mom was, like, an active character throughout the film, like, constantly interacting with the people she was killing and whatnot. Mm. Um, but she's not. She's kind of this twist-ending villain, sort of. And I think that, like, having the the female villain sort of, like, front and center, and it's just this, like, it's very much this sort of, like, character back and forth between her and her victim, kind of. It is, it would be a very unique film, certainly. We don't get a whole lot of those. To say, like, what it means thematically, however, I don't know. I kind of I kind of love the idea, to be honest. I think I'm just a little too in love with it. I just keep thinking, like, this would be such, like, a cool, like, female empowerment sort of thing, even if it's, like, really, you know... You vill- too can be a serial killer. Yeah, villainous and awful. And, like, also how, like, when someone is uh, atypical, basically, like the word I was looking for was atypical, not asymptomatic. I said asymptomatic, I meant atypical. So, like, when someone is atypical, you know, socially or, like, mentally or physically or whatever, you know, they're not the standard, right? Maybe in a benign way or, you know, maybe even in a dangerous way, you know? When it's a woman, oftentimes people are willing to overlook it more than if it's a man. There would be, I think there would be something to be said there, maybe. Like, that's why Aaron is so, like... So trusting, because... You know, oh, she's a woman, and she's, you know, atypical mentally, and so that's why I'm willing to go back and forgive... How quirky instead of how strange. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, that is, like, a very common... uh, uh, movie trope uh, the the manic pixie dream girl where she's like clearly like her mental or social health isn't exactly perfect and like that's seen as like a cool bonus you know wow she's making me look at the world in a different lens instead of like man interacting and hanging out with this person is like really taxing and like it's difficult and like hard and if they were a guy you know if it was a guy friend like uh, what is it yes man you know Jim Carrey and uh that, Zoe Deschanel? Yeah, that beautiful doe-eyed girl. Yeah, Zoe Deschanel. 
she is very much painted up to be this like quirky and fun character, but she is also very socially awkward and kind of weird. And instead of being like, you know, instead of Jim Carrey, like losing his patience with her and being like, okay, you're kind of fucking annoying. Right. He's very tolerant of her. And I think that if she was a dude, this beautiful doe eyed man, I'm sure Jim Carrey at some point would be like, I'm not interested in you romantically or sexually. So I'm not willing to put up with all this crap. I do like these like sort of little experiments of like, Hey, what if the genders were swapped? How, how would that, you know, affect the film? You know? It reminds me a little, did you ever watch Seinfeld? Um, yeah, yeah. So, okay. so Elaine's boyfriend, uh, during a certain section of it, I forget, he's got a really iconic voice and I can't think of anything he's in. That's all right. But just, just that guy where he was the big stupid guy. Like he gets this jacket and he's like, he's showing it off and it's got a bit, it's got a big eight ball on the back and he's like, get any questions? Yes, the eight ball, and it's like, <laughs> and um, and he's the Zoe Deschanel in this situation, but because he's big hunky man, it's like, all right, he's a fucking idiot. We got to ditch this man somehow. Sure, yeah, it's it's oftentimes you know, um, mental and social like uh, atypical behavior is oftentimes seen as something that needs to be like fixed or escaped, like r- run away from it, you know. It's rarely ever looked at as like, wow, it is so cool that this guy like tries to do jump scares in real life to keep things exciting and fun. You know, it's like a scary thing and it's this horrible thing. And in, in the context of the film, yes, it is scary. But like, let's imagine this was supposed to be like, let's imagine it was the movie I was describing where it's supposed to be like this uplifting story of this guy learning to like, you know, have a good friendship with another with another guy who's just a little bit quirkier, a little weirder, a little more socially awkward, you know? I still think that all of those scenes where he does jump scares would be seen as scary, even in that like uplifting sort of like heartfelt film that I'm describing. And they would be seen as something either to like avoid or to fix, like he needs to stop doing that or do it in a different way or something. Um, When in reality, like, yeah, I get that jump scares aren't for everybody, but like you shouldn't be making friends with people who don't like the shit that you do. So like it should be something that you're kind of like, hey, this is a thing I do. Do you like it? optimally people should be trying to find a way to like it as if it were Zoe Deschanel's beautiful doe eyes and her quirky feelings about various foods and other things whatever yes man is about Jesus Christ I really don't like Jim Carrey movies all that much so I kind of tend to forget them but yeah yeah uh, I, I feel I feel I feel a lot of like feelings for the, the the main character creep Joseph you know I feel I feel really sorry for him man like that's got to be tough <laughs> you know in the in the first half of in the first half right no I'm just yeah, I'm, I'm trying to limit my exposure to that idea as being like, oh, it's going to be really tough being a serial killer. Yeah, yeah so like... How is he ever going to find love? I, I think that the, <laughs> the movie does do the thing where it's talking about a very real thing that people experience where they're like, you know, they're... I'm different and alone and like, how do you fix that and still be you? And I think that lying and like trying to like create a narrative that's like, you know, more palatable for, for people... I think that seems like a really logical answer for a lot of people in this situation. You know, I don't think it's ethical. I don't think it's the right thing to do, but I do think it's like a snap decision that many people probably take. Even if it's not a snap decision, if it's something that you like really planned for and you created this really cool story that's kind of believable, you know, like it seems like Joseph did. I still think that there's something reasonable about that, especially for someone as like emotionally articulate as Joseph is. Like Joseph is able to explain like, hey, this happened and it hurt me and I didn't like it, but I did this and that was wrong as well. And like, he is clearly able, he is very like emotionally 
uh, intelligent and emotionally like. You don't think any of that was like for the sake of manipulation? I, I do think that is the case, yes. I think anytime you like lie to someone, create a narrative, something like that, even if it is for the sake of like, I'm lonely and I'm trying to make friends and then everything else doesn't work. And anytime I'm like honest with them, they're just like, oh, you have what mental health problems? You're bipolar and schizophrenic and like, oh, that's too much for me. I'm just never going to put up with you outside of this one interaction we're having right now. You know, even with that in mind, it's still manipulation. It's still shitty to do. I do. But he was at least like uh, fluent enough to like express yeah. something convincing. Yeah, is what you're trying to say. Well, well what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that like, if we were to separate the first half of the movie and the second half of the movie, you know, that first half is a very reasonable thing. I think there yeah. were definitely points through that where I was like, this this very weird thing he did, but then explained away in a very rational way. Yeah, I took like, pictures totally of makes you sense. when you showed up and. Like, I kind of stalked you a little as you were first arriving, and, like, I did that because I was scared, and I was worried that you were some kind of, like, mean weirdo, and you were going to get pissed off if I didn't show up right away. I knew you before you knew me. You didn't do that, and I, you know, I decided to trust you because you didn't freak out, and, you know, that's, that's super normal, and, like, not that crazy sounding. Like, yeah, you know, maybe the pictures were a little weird, and, you know, certainly being, like, so upfront and honest about it is a little weird for some people. Like, some people... Anytime you're like, hey, just to be perfectly honest with you, when I when I first met you, you reminded me of my dad, and you just kind of look a lot like him. And when we started talking, I was a little aggressive with you initially, and like, uh, you know, I could tell you didn't like that. And to be honest, like, it felt a little unfair to me too. So I tried to tone it down a little. And the more I turned toned it down, the nicer you got, and I started feeling a little safe. Like, you know, when you really explain something to someone, it's one of two reactions basically. They're either going to be like. Thank you for fully explaining that. Now I, I totally now I understand why everything was so strange. Yeah. Or they're going to be like, you're a fucking freak. How dare you fully articulate exactly what you were feeling and exactly what you were doing and like all of these like little minutiae of what was happening in that moment. People are really, really like quick to be aggressive about that kind of stuff. And it's, it seems unfair because you're doing the right thing. That is exactly what you should do. In any given situation where there's a misunderstanding, you should try your hardest to like really articulate beat for beat what happened, like both emotionally and literally. And uh, people don't take it well, man. They, they really don't. So it's unfortunate. And I think I think people are getting better about it. I think they are. That is one of the parts of, the, of his character in the first half of the movie that I think makes him really convincing is like those really honest moments where he's just like, I did this thing and it was not cool or I felt this way about it or I thought this or, you know, whatever. I think all the moments that are really scary are kind of the moments where he's just sort of like, no, no, it's fine. Don't think about it too much. So whenever he's like obfuscating things, I think that's what makes this movie really cool is the like the parts of it where like we get to get into this discussion of like what was the like thing that that made you where was the line where you were like not willing to write things off as him being a weirdo? Yeah, yeah. Like, like when, when did you actually think that this was act- serial killer yeah, status? And, and then when did he like pull you back to thinking no, this is just a kind of a weird dude? I think that's like that's when this movie's at its best is when it's like discussing that dichotomy or making you think of that like that sort of thing. So you saw that there is a creep two. Tell me what your creep two is about. Clearly, he just does it again. I mean, he's on the phone with the this one. It just picks setting up, up the next one right where creep one ends. Just the same damn thing. Um, it would be cool if we explored that sister character a little bit more, or if like creep two was some sort of prequel. I'm also really concerned about the fact that like. To tell a convincing lie, generally there's hints of truth. Why did he use his sister's name as his wife and then do this whole... I think he raped his sister. I think that's a thing that happened. And uh, maybe Creep 2 is a prequel to when that happened with the fucking uh, Peach Fuzz mask. And uh, 
That's what I'd like it to be. Sure. With that in mind, why did the sister call? If, like, she's... His... That's, that's another... I mean, I have no idea. This is another thing that was sort of taken in its own bubble. Like, why does he have ibuprofen? Why does his sister call and say, get out of the house? I, it's just something that I've kind of taken. Why did he... Why did she call? Is this, like, the nightly checkup? I mean, I think that they probably have a perfectly healthy relationship, and she calls to make sure that her mentally unwell brother isn't getting into any trouble, as he probably has in the past. She seems, like, relatively familiar with his tactics, at least enough to say, like, hey, you're not really in any danger, just go ahead and leave the house and, like, start heading out. You can't get in your car. Okay, well, tell me where you are, and then just start walking towards the road. What if it's, like, an enabling thing? Like, what if the sister's also kind of fucked up? Because, I mean, for him to have done this, as long as he has in the past... What keyed the sister off that he was mentally unwell in a way that people would not be safe around him? Well, well, hold on. She does say that, like, he is safe. Like, he's going to be fine. As so long she... as he leaves the house now. Yeah, yeah. He's, well, well I, I think that's because she's, like, concerned that maybe, like, maybe in the past he's broken into houses that he wasn't supposed to be in. Like, that is a thing that people who are mentally unwell sometimes do, you know? Like, okay. Uh, it wouldn't be outside of the realm of possibility if he's murdering people for him to break into a house and claim that it's his, you know? Or, or, or something else, you know? Like, some other, you know, thing. It, it could very well be that she is ignorant and that she just thinks this is a benign thing. It could also be that she's in on it, which I think would be a, make for a wonderful creep, too. And then there are literally... Two creeps. <laughs> <laughs> this has to be how the movie goes, or I'm gonna be really upset now. It's it's it's, uh, it's <laughs> they do like the creep three. They have a kid. Three creeps <laughs> with the sister. Um, clear. I said that he was that he was raping her in the beginning. All right. <laughs> it. We can only hope that it's consensual and they have a kid. Sure. Yeah. I mean that that the the whole I raped my sister thing is like you know that could have just been the rape was the fictitious part of the story. Everything else was accurate as hell. That's exactly just how they get down. Yeah. I uh, I, I I I I don't know if I I take it that way. I do think that just a whole ton of this is like just pure fabrication for him. There's also like there has to be sus. I don't want to say suspension of disbelief because that's just, I feel like that's a phrase that gets used a lot, but like, I feel like there's things that for the sake of the movie plot going forward, much like the Benadryl, like just have to be accepted. So yeah, I mean, I didn't even really think about like, why did the sister call? What are the sister's motives? What does the sister know about the brother? That's just, hey, you should probably leave because otherwise, I mean, how does that scene progress? Um, does he try to find the keys, not find the keys? I think, I think certainly they had kind of written themselves into a situation where either he was going to go through the guy's pockets and find the keys, or he wasn't going to, and then... And then what? Right. Yeah, so, so like, uh, I guess they could have had the guy wake up again and, like, be like, oh, hey, you're looking for your keys in my pockets, you don't trust me, I'm mad at you, scary, scary, which just kind of feels like more of the same. I think the sister thing is, like strictly more interesting and it adds like an element to the movie that wasn't there previously but by adding the aspect that he is mentally unwell it does add a lot to the film that doesn't seem like stuff that the movie's trying to talk about really i think the movie still does talk about like him being socially awkward without him being mentally awkward or mentally unwell or whatever that is that didn't need to be there for us to have all these conversations about, like, what about people who just have different social norms than you, you know? The movie doesn't seem to want to talk about mental unwellness, but it did add it in as an aspect in the in the sister phone call scene. I don't know if it's 
perfect solution to the problem we find ourselves in where the guy has knocked the dude out and now is rifling through his pockets. That whole situation does seem like they were trying to stitch two halves of something together. <laughs> Which, sure. I don't know. I'm not unhappy with it either. It's just that the more I think about it, the more things don't add up. This as, a, as a person who would see themselves in this situation, things don't add up. Yeah, this does seem like one of the more flimsier like plot points of the film where it's like, you know, okay, so you, you've decided... And then what you're... happened to the phone? She had perfect reception and then it garbles out. Like, why? Yeah, that also seems a little odd. That was the part of it that, like... I just accept to be like a movie trope where it's like right when you need to be in, on the phone with somebody in a horror movie, it starts getting a little garbly for no reason. Right. Sure. Fine. And like I've certainly experienced that where I'm like walking around and people are like, I can't hear you. What's going on? And, you know, I have to like get somewhere where I have better reception. But like it it just seems a little convenient that she's given you all the information you could possibly want. And then once you're like, okay, save me now. She's like, great. Cool. 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 Thank you. Horror film. I forgot I was in a horror film. Thanks for reminding me. The lady's literally on the other end going, I wish I could, but I can't. Yeah. I'm sending in an attack helicopter to save you. Uh, (laughs) What was that address you were going to give me again, sir? I'm sorry. I can't hear you. The phone must be getting all garbly. Yeah, like <laughs> so, so. Yeah, all, all of that stuff. I, I just, I'd be willing to accept it as no, 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 no. Like the rest of the movie meant something. These are the things that we needed so we could get to the rest of the movie. And I'm, I'm totally willing to write stuff off like that. It's just like I, I have to ask if it mattered. You know, the Benadryl and the, the not grabbing a knife and the, and the sister. Like I'm gonna proceed from this point on, assuming that they didn't really mean much. Sure. Um, do you think that this movie is more or less, uh, what's the word, uh, problematic? Let's use the word problematic. Uh, more or less problematic if we were to uh, change it to be like a, let's say we just change the parts of the film after the, the part where they have a scuffle. Like the scuffle happens, the screen goes blank, and then after that we change everything to be like a story of forgiveness and uplifting, you know, hey... I'm gonna I'm gonna forgive you for you know being weird and we're gonna be make be good friends and everything's gonna be okay and there's no horror elements after that. Do you think that the movie is more problematic that way or less problematic? I'm not sure I'm understanding what you mean by problematic there. Um, so there's like there's problematic readings of the film. Like anybody who has a mental health issue, if you hang out with them after they've like had a bad day or, or treated you in an uncouth way, now they're gonna murder you. That's one way to read the film, you know. Uh, another way, uh, let's say we were to make this other movie about the uplifting, hey, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, or I, I forgive you for, you know, behaving uncouthly and, like, having, like, a, a bad, you know, evening, you know, after the drugging and the alcoholing, and now we have, like, an uplifting friendship and whatnot, to say that, like, hey, if you feel like someone is behaving in a way that is dangerous and is, like, frightening to you, you should just forgive them and hang out with them again anyways. Like, I think either way this movie ends... It is potentially, you could read it and be like, ooh, that's not great. Which one do you think is better? Which one do you think is worse? I tend towards caution. And so I think it would be worse to have that be the message that got out to be like, if somebody is behaving in a very odd way, that you think you should contact somebody and like have them be... Let, let's just say you feel like you should call the police because of somebody's act, how somebody's acting, but then you don't because that's the moral you took away from this movie. I think that's problematic. Yeah, so certainly this movie does cover the police thing and does the thing that like horror movies tend to do where the police are basically like, huh, you're scared, nerd. 
The police do that. They, they just do I'm, that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they do, but I don't like the idea of putting that into a movie and then, like, people are just like, well, calling the police is never the correct choice. Right, right. And typical other movies would be like, ah, oh, the police are useless, I'll kill them myself. And that's also not, like, what you should be doing. Yeah. So, uh, and, and the problem is, is, like, people, when they hear us saying this, will be like, well, nobody's, like choosing to live their life based off of what's happening in movies, and I'm going to tell you right now, that is not 100% accurate. I mean, that's why they call it a moral, right? That's something you're supposed to take away. And while this isn't a Disney film where the moral was like, and they all lived happily ever after because they accepted each other. Like, that's not what they said, but there's a moral behind every movie, even if it's a bad one. Well, well, that and, you know, people think that they can hit each other upside the back of the head, and they'll be okay. Or if you lose consciousness for a few seconds, you're fine. Yeah. Or, um, reality, what is it, the... Chloroform? Chloro- chloroform, yeah. If you just put that over somebody's mouth for a few seconds, you know. And they knock right out and they'll wake up with not a problem. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's all kinds of stuff that, like, people believe because of movies. And I would not be surprised if there are people, maybe not 100% because of the movie, maybe if it's even just 10%, it's still a fucking problem. You know, that they believe, like, I shouldn't call the police because they're just never going to fucking... You know, do anything. They, they they aren't ever going to, like, help me if I feel like I'm being stalked or something or other. You know, if the movie had the cops come by and just, like, you know, do you have anything? Oh, yeah, I do have his, I have his picture in, in my locket, you know, that he, that he sent to me. That would be something, at least. You know, they'd be like, well, we'll hold on to the photo. If we see the guy around, we'll, you know, pull him in for questioning. Well, that's exactly it, because there's, um... There's a, there's a word for this because there's like the the CSI TV shows where they're like enhance and it's like oh and now we we can look at the, we can tell exactly who the guy is and run him through the database and that doesn't happen. Sure, it's not a thing that works, but the world seems to think that it does just off of a TV show. Yeah, and so uh, like hacking, we believe hacking works yeah. that way when most of hacking is just kind of like, hey, uh, I'm your IT guy. Tell me your password. Right. That's a lot of what hacking is. God, I hope somebody clicks on this email yeah. where it's like, oh, God, I have to fight the hacker. And it's when really it's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I asked you to give me your sensitive information and you did like an idiot. That's that's quite a bit of hacking. You know, another ha- other hacking is done by like automatic programs that just do all the work for you. You don't have to do anything. You right. fucking pop it in, turn it on. and There you go. It's doing the thing. So it's literally when a, when a hacker tells you it'll be three minutes, it's because the, the machine already told them, I will be done with this in three minutes. Right. So they don't, they have no control over going faster or slower. So yeah, uh, there's, there's a ton of stuff in movies like that, that people are willing to believe. And then when you tell them like, well, we shouldn't include this in movies just in case like somebody like believes it or whatever. And they're like, well, nobody does that. And it's like, well, they do. Well, there's also the trusting. I, I like to think that um, towards the end of the movie where it's like, he trusts enough to just sit there. I believe nothing's going to happen to him. I do think a lot of people have, I don't know if it's the trusting nature that I'm trying to get at or just the idea that they are invincible or or whatever it is. But I do think a lot of people would have that reaction. They're like, he, he wanted to talk. And he said this was an open area with people watching. It's public. As, as if no one has ever been murdered. In, in public. Yeah. <laughs> right. As if that has never happened. God, what a... What a good, what a, what a great manipulation, like, to say, like, look how open it is. It's, there's, you know, people out here, and it's, you know, and he doesn't, like, focus in on, like, the crowds of people walking by or not. But you do see, like, trucks, like, driving Ooh, in the background. Sure. Like, this is, this is an open park. This is a public park. Look, there's buoys. 
because um, like buoys are typically where you can swim safely. I I brought that up about the yellow buoy because like you mentioned yellow being brought up several times in this movie, but the fact that it was yellow and specifically a safety implement. Yeah, Aaron's car is yellow, and the front door to uh, Joseph's place is yellow. Um, I this is one of the few times in uh, film where I did not see like any significance of like a color that kept re reappearing. But it was I mean when they're when they're framing the shot and they are looking at the villas in the background, which I guess is supposed to be like, oh look, anybody could see us. And they framed the one yellow buoy that they didn't have to frame. And frankly buoys are not generally yellow. And they're um, completely unnecessary to have in the shot. Right. They could have just not it, had it. It had no point yeah. in being there or being yellow specifically, but I don't know, maybe maybe that just tied into the like the security aspect that Aaron very much apparently felt. And I can sit there and be like, I would not. I would. There was no fucking way I would have my back any pointed to anywhere besides perhaps the lake. So if I were to try to be as generous as possible with the yellow color theming thing, you could make an argument that yellow is being used as a like signifier for sickness, and that's why Aaron's car is yellow because he has the same sickness as Joseph. They're both lonely. They're both like. They both have that problem. So the door is yellow, his car is yellow, and then the buoy at the end. These are the only three things in the movie I can think of that were specifically yellow. Like, stand out, that bright, happy right. yellow. The problem is, is it, is it, it really is that bright, happy yellow. This isn't like a sad, sickly yellow, like jaundice yellow or whatever the fuck. This was a freshly painted, like, like sun- street line yellow. Like sunflower yellow. Like, it's a very pretty yellow color. So it's like... It's difficult for me to be, like, that generous about it in all, like, honesty. But I do think you're right. It is, like, weirdly there for no reason. It didn't need to be there. It it was almost deliberately put there. Yeah. It very much felt like it was a deliberate add-in for that thing. And, I mean, that's why I keep on trying to find the symbolism of, like, it's a buoy. It's It's a safety apparatus. Like, and if that, maybe he felt comfortable, he finally felt comfortable around the man who had the same sickness as him or something like that. And, I mean, they bring that up later themselves, so it it actually wasn't even necessary for the sake of symbolism because he brings it up again (laughs) again later about how you felt comfortable around me. I couldn't harm you. There are a lot of movies that will use color to try to, like, let you know, hey, this is what we're getting at here. And then later they'll... Hey, hey, dummy, in case you missed it. Yeah. Uh, And I I don't hate that by any means because there are times like this where I'm, like, sitting here going, I don't think the yellow really meant anything. And then... You know, the more we think about it, the more it's like, well, maybe. Maybe there was something there. And I do think there's even a great argument for yellow being, like, safety. You know, the door. It is both how you get in and how you get out. So, you know, maybe it is, like, a measurement of safety. The only way he could be safe is to go through that yellow door. And the only way he could be safe is to get in his yellow car and leave. I mean, he mentions that. He's like, I'm going to wait in the car because I think that's going to be a good idea. And we were joking about it with the bulletproof glass and shit like that. But he got in his car to feel safe. Yeah. And the only time he's unsafe is once he left his car to like hang out with the guy. There's some, certainly something there. But then, you know, when we get to that, like, would he have been safe if he had gone into the water instead of sitting out in the park? I don't think so. I think the guy still probably would have found a way to get out there and murder him in the water. Sort of falls apart maybe on the buoy thing. But I, I don't know. I think that 
anytime you're doing like color as like symbolism, it's always going to have points where it's like not as strong as other parts. Well, yeah, I mean the whole thing about symbolism is is like it'll mean something until it doesn't. So I mean, I'm not saying the water was safe, but like the shot, the scene itself was supposed to be framed as something where he could feel safe enough, to, you know, kick up and cross his legs. And well, the water was in front of him. Maybe it was trying to say if he had just moved forward or like moved ahead. He wouldn't have been in this, like, unsafe situation. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know. There's, again, you know, we could we could do this until we're blue in the face. But, yeah, I think there's there's something there at the very least. More than, more than I was willing to give it initially. It is really weird that those are the three things that are yellow, though. It's like, striking, like you said, strikingly yellow. Yeah. Like, they didn't, there's no way they had to be. Yeah, every time I've ever seen a buoy, it's like orange or red. Right. For it to be that, like... You know, safety hazard yellow. Uh, or for it to be, like I've mentioned before, when like uh, English teachers would be like, why were the curtains blue? Well, in the first scene, they're like, there it is, yellow door. He says it. He could just have been like, there it is, the house. But he says yellow door. Yeah. And he doesn't, he doesn't need to say that. And he certainly didn't need to have a yellow car. Like, you know, yeah, there's something here. Certainly. The rest of the movie is not, is like strikingly not yellow, though. Like, there are scenes where, you know, if this were the thing that we were trying to get across, either safety or sickness, there could have been some yellow in there, and they didn't have any. You know, so there's something there. Like, something... Uh, when I say something there in this instance, what I mean is, like, that seems strange that they didn't use it more frequently. And maybe they weren't trying to, like... Even in the ending credits, they have creep in big yellow letters. So that's... There's that. Um, I mean, yeah, this could be another thing we're overthinking. It's just like, I don't know, it just, the creep was yellow, and I wanted to use yellow because the theme is yellow. Yeah. What's but, the movie about? It's about the color yellow, and you thought it was about mental illness. <laughs> we're just trying to discuss the color yellow. I don't, uh, I, I don't think it's absolutely necessary for a like filmmaker to be like, I'm going to like have visual style flourishes like throughout the film. I think it's fine not to, and just to have like a very like, oh, hey, we're going to use you know, found footage style to create a feeling of unease because we know how everybody feels about, like, those types of movies. But for the first, like, half of the movie, when most of the found footage, like, is being, like, implemented, I guess, the rest of the movie, like, feels like there's, like, less of that found footage style. It's more like they're actually... I don't know. I guess I guess I just... Because they're, like, outside a lot in the beginning of it, whereas in the rest of the film's runtime, they're kind of, like, indoors. I guess I don't really feel as found footagey about that. Maybe that's because of the Blair Witch Project as being like mostly outside. But yeah, with the um, the motion joggles yeah, and yeah. stuff like and that. And he's like chasing him while he's running and stuff. So that's like jogging the camera a lot. Right, as opposed to this one where it's like I'm gonna set this right here on my on, on my, my nightstand. Or on my stand. Board. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It feels like they kind of wanted to pick and choose when they were using that to like up the scariness. And I thought that was like a good idea. You know, I was like, you know, hey. Maybe they're trying to say, like, you should feel scared right now, you know, when you really shouldn't because it was perfectly safe and, like, there wasn't anything weird going on. Again, I really do like the idea of a horror film, quote-unquote, where it's not actually a horror film and it's just to get you into that feeling of, like, you know, oh, God, this guy is weird and, like, socially awkward and I don't know, like, if I'm safe or if, like, this is just him being kind of weird. I wish... That is, like, the thing that I wish they would have done with it instead of, like, this kind of like half-baked horror film kind of at the end there you know because it feels like it feels like they could have done something smarter besides i've been killing for years and that's that's the big reveal yeah or like if if this had been a personal thing like would it have been scarier 
if this was something that he felt so personally about that he killed the one man, uh, as opposed to the reveal at the end where he's got a, a fucking million VHS tapes. I think it is scarier if he's being completely, like, uh, random about it and this could happen to anyone. I think that is strictly more frightening than if he has, like, a vendetta against this guy of some kind. Uh, I think that when you give a villain, like, a reason to be killing someone, like, oh, I'm killing them because they are the children of the people who killed my mother or something, you know? Like, or, I mean, even related to this movie, like, I, I killed him because he rebuked my affections. Sure. When you give them a reason for doing that, you're kind of, like, taking away an element of horror that could be there, where it is that sort of, like, like death is sort of a force of nature, and in that way, this guy is death. He's just sort of coming to people at random times and visiting death upon them. He's not particularly violent about the way he kills them. He puts an axe to the back of their head, and let's assume he does that every single time. That's not terribly violent, you know, especially considering, you know, the Saw movies and other films like that, where people are murdered in these horrible, gruesome ways. So he, he is kind of just, like, killing them in a very, hey, you're just dead now sort of way. And the fact that I do kind of think that he kept swinging after that. Like, I don't know. He if did, I, yeah, yeah. Are, but I so. think that might have been for ease of transport, perhaps. Did he? Did he, though? Because he walks away from the... That part of it I take not to be a real thing that happened. The part where he, like, jumps at the camera and goes, Wah! and then he also, Wah! at the camera himself. Well, no, not just like, that, but the fact that he walked away from it at the end. And, like, if we assume that this is a place where people could theoretically, like, walk yeah. by and see it, like, someone disassembling and yeah, packaging so up a Everything body. after the second swing I don't, I don't take to be like that really happened. Because, like, yeah. I think it was just them setting up for the jump scare there. Oh. Yeah. Like, they just wanted to jump scare you, and so they had him go, Wah! and then they had the version of him on the camera as well go, Wah! and that's more scary than if it was just him going, Wah! for no reason. Um, and it gives him a reason to go, Wah! instead of just doing it because, instead now That it's... makes me even angrier. Yeah, no, 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 I don't like it. <laughs> this, is, this is specifically the problem with Blumhouse movies, is at the end of the movie, they for some reason decide to do a jump scare. Like, why? And there's no reason for it. Why would the villain, like... Why would the monster or the villain or whoever look at the camera and go, Bleh! at the end of the film? Like, it doesn't make any fucking sense. And I get it. Like, I think it's fine to, like, celebrate horror films and celebrate, like, being scary for no reason and whatever. But it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to do it in every fucking movie. It's like, uh, fucking, what do you call them? The, the Marvel movies with every single fucking movie has a, a fucking stinger at the end where they, like, try to be like, and then after the movie, stick around for the little tiny... 30 where, second short. Where we release the next hero that's going to be... Or even when it's something, like, really, that doesn't mean anything. Like, it's just them sitting around having a shawarma sandwich or whatever, you know? Like, that doesn't add anything to the next film, or if you miss it, then you missed out, or anything like that. It's kind of a nothing scene. There's um there's an Indian movie, and I don't know if you've seen it. Um, I forget the name of it, but it's basically Indian Marvel. Um, the and... Guardians? Is it The Guardians? No, no, it's uh, Gundama. Okay. Guy finds out he's got electrical powers. Whatever. Sure. Um, come to find out, there's a whole fucking cinematic universe that, like, I don't know about. I don't know anything. You're the one that should know about Indian cinema. How come you don't know about Gundama? I, I'm, um, I, I'm always trying to educate myself on uh, Indian cinema, and I am just woefully bad at it. But yeah, so Gundama, it's it, it feels very Marvel-esque. We've got the hero, and he, co he goes through his own progression of, I'm not a hero. Oh, now I'm the hero, and oh, I've got powers. And then um, there's all this backstory where these, these the bad guys are trying to resurrect a uh, big evil man. And um, 
Oh, well, he doesn't know why he has powers, but the bad guys know that he's got uh, ancient god blood in him. Blah, blah, all this stuff. And at, at the very end of the Indian Marvel cinematic movie, Gandama, they, um, they spoiler the next sure. Indian Marvel hero that's going to come into it. And it's like, oh, so it's not even just an American thing. It's... <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of those... Uh, oh, the... let me just rehash, because I am aware that you were talking about how Indian cinema is influenced by what I'm not saying that it wasn't. Now go on. <laughs> oh, I was just saying, a lot of the, especially when any, not even just Indian cinema, any filming group is specifically doing like, hey, we're going to do our own Marvel Cinematic Universe, there are very few things they leave on the cutting room floor. They want to like... They want to use the formula, basically, and that's kind of part of the formula, and it's, it's hard to ignore, you know? It's hard to say, like, is this something that, like, is necessary in order for this to be successful? Is this something that's, like, purely American in nature, or is this just, like, if people are enjoying superhero cinema, do you think that would work in any market? Do they, do they, have, to, do they have to have the stinger at the end, or is it going to fail without it? Like, and if you look at all of the Marvel movies, they have them almost every single damn time. So, and also are successful. So it would be hard for somebody who's, like, making this movie or producing this movie or whatever, making any decisions on it to say, like, nah, you don't need it, you know? Might as well. I mean, Look at all these times where they didn't use it and it was successful. Yeah. Uh, but I think, I think we're going to call it there. Let's call it, a, call it an evening.